Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me. I'm Howard Parker. Bill Emerson will be inducted into IBMA's Hall of Fame on September 26, 2019, at a ceremony in Raleigh, North Carolina. He'll be honored for a storied career as a banjo player and band leader with Cliff Waldron, Jimmy Martin, the Country Gentleman, and the U.S. Navy Band's Country Current. Bill recently sat down with Katie Daly to talk about his storied career. Well, Bill Emerson, let me congratulate you that you will be inducted into the International Bluegrass Music Association's Hall of Fame at the end of September. Congratulations. And when I talk with our friends about it, here's what they say. It's about time. What took them so long? Yeah, I was asking the same question. <laughs> Hi, Katie. Yeah. Well, so it's, great. it's you, great to see you. It's wonderful to be with you. And at least it's happening, you know, at the end of September. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've had a 66-year uh, career playing the banjo, trying mm -hmm. to make a living at it, and uh, a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of fun, and and uh, got to meet a great, a lot of great people like you. Well, thank you. And by the way, I miss hearing you on the, your radio show on WAMU. Well, thank you. Uh, I'm just just honored to be elected. And I'm especially happy that, and sad at the same time, it's kind of bittersweet that that uh, Mike won't be there to accept his honor. Mm -hmm. But he knows. He, he He's looking down. Isn't it great? Two Washingtonians. And let's not forget Absolutely. the Kentucky Colonels and also. the Kentucky Colonels. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the very beginning, a long time ago, before there was a career. How did you select the banjo, or was that your first instrument? Uh, no, uh, my first instrument was ukulele, <laughs> and uh, I remember getting that thing. I got it for Christmas, and it had a little instruction book with it. And I opened the pages, and it had these little pictures of chords, you know. And, and uh, so I put my fingers down on the fingerboard and looked at it, and I hit the chord, and I said, "Okay, now I go to the next chord." But I wasn't, I wasn't strumming it in between. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That was an odd way to get started, but after that I went to guitar, got a guitar and uh, played that for a while. I got I had a uh, a National Electric guitar and an amplifier, and I was interested in country music at that time, and I uh, didn't hear much bluegrass on the radio. Every once in a while you'd hear a Flatten Scrubs or a Reno and Smiley. Right. Were you listening to what what radio stations? A R L and D O N. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fiddling Curly Smith. Don Owens got to know Don Owens and became a uh, he became a good friend before he passed away. And uh, I heard that those few Flat and Scruggs records, I heard that banjo, and I thought, man, I would really like to try that. So I went down to the pawn shop and traded my National for a real cheap Belltone banjo, and didn't know how to play it, didn't know the first thing about it. So I got on my bicycle and rode down to John Duffy's house. Ah, so you lived in Bethesda? I did, and uh, so did he. And I put that thing across the handlebars and pedaled right on down to John's house. How old were you? Uh, probably uh, 13. Mm -hmm. 
And I asked Sean, how do I play this thing? And he said, uh, I'll show you how to put these picks on, and I'll draw you some chords out and give you the idea, and he did. And, and it was a, a way to the races. A way to the races. Yeah. And uh, so you played by yourself? I mean, just, or did, who did you practice with? Uh, nobody to start with. Just put on records and tried to learn what, what I heard. And a little bit later on, uh, got together with, uh, I heard a band on the radio, on WINX Radio in Rockville. And uh, it was Uncle Bob and the Blue Ridge Partners. Mm -hmm. And I went uh, went over there one Saturday morning, and there they all were in the studio playing live. And he said, who are you? I said, well, I play the banjo. And they said, well, get that banjo and come on in here and join us. And I did. And that was the first band I played with. And after that, it was Buzz Busby. Buzz Busby was the first professional band that I got to play with. And uh, Buzz Busby for a while, Bill Harrell for a while, and then the country gentleman, John Duffy, who got me started. And uh, Charlie Waller was a friend of mine. He worked, he and I worked at a gas station together. We worked at Herndon Calso in Bethesda. I've never heard that story. Herndon Calso at Bethesda at uh, Arlington Road and Bradley Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were very well acquainted. I, I knew what Charlie could do. I knew he was a great guitar player. And uh, so John and Charlie and I, I got together after the Buzz Busby accident. It was a well known right. accident. And uh, the idea was to keep Buzz's job going until he got out of the hospital. And we decided to stay together. And that was the nucleus of the country gentleman. Right. And uh, the job was, it was at the Admiral Grill in Arlington or? It was. At, I mean, in Annandale. Bailey's Crossroads. Bailey's Crossroads. Yeah. Okay. Wow. What year was that? Long time ago. Fifty-seven. 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 July fourth, nineteen fifty-seven, is when Buzz had the automobile accident, and uh, and the country gentleman got together. Right. And when Buzz got out of the hospital, he got the job back. But we went our I went my separate way because I wanted to stay with John and Charlie. Mm -hmm. And John taught me to sing uh, harmony. Didn't know how to do that, and. Uh, of course, being with Charlie was a a big boost, and uh, and after that, played some with uh, Bill Harrell. Went to work with Bill Harrell for a couple of years, and we won won a lot of awards down in Warrington at the National Champion Country Music Contest. And I was a banjo player of the year down there, and we were the band of the year, and on and on, and. Uh, also played some with uh, Red Allen and Frank Wakefield, who came to town. And then uh, Jimmy Martin somehow got my name and called me on the phone. And when you answered and he said, this is Jimmy Martin, did you believe it? I did. I recognized his voice. Yeah. And he said, my banjo player quit, and uh, I need somebody to come in and pick the banjo. And uh, I need somebody to go to to uh, New Jersey with me. I said, well, you got the right guy, I'll do that. So I got in my little Plymouth that I had, 
and drove all the way up to the Pennsylvania Turnpike and met Jimmy at one of those Howard Johnson type places on right, the Turnpike. Right. Met him and he's in his Cadillac. And I parked my car there at that Howard Johnson, got into Cadillac, and we went to the Carl Bar in Newark, New Jersey. Paul Williams and Jimmy, Zeb Collins, and myself. And went in the back room and rehearsed the show, some of the tunes. And uh, me and Zeb and Paul Williams went out on the stage first to sort of set the scene for Jeff for the star, you know. Mm -hmm. And then uh, eventually Jimmy came out, and uh, we did the show, and everybody liked it. And David Grisman was there. That's the first time I ever met David. And uh, Jimmy said, "Man, I want you. To, I want you to stay with me." He said, uh, "Get your stuff and, and come to Martin's. He's living in Martin's Ferry, Ohio, and working on the WWVA Jamboree in Wheeling." And uh, so I did. I went home and got some of my clothes and and uh, didn't have a place to live. So I stayed with Jimmy. And me and Paul Williams slept in the same bed. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy, you know, and Paul's a great guy for putting up with that. But uh, then eventually I got a, we got a trailer and hooked it up to Jimmy's Cadillac, went back down to Washington where I live, loaded up my furniture and stuff, and, and uh, went back to Martinsbury, Ohio. And I stayed there with Jimmy about three years, and... Uh, he decided to move to Nashville, and uh, he wanted to be a, on the Grand Ole Opry is what he wanted to do. But he had an opportunity to move to Nashville, and, and uh, his wife Barbara was his booking agent at the time. And uh, I didn't want to go to Nashville, so I, came, I quit and came back here. And uh, he, went to, he went on to Nashville, never, never did... Uh, get on the Opry, which really bothered Jimmy. And uh, I, work, I worked some with during that vacancy there with uh, Red Allen and Frank Wakefield. Also worked with Cliff Waldron, and eventually we teamed up as Emerson and Waldron. Right. And that was the first Fox on the Run recording. Well, now tell us, that, you know, is part of the bluegrass history. How did that come about? Well, my wife, Lola, who's sitting right here looking at me, smiling, she, uh, she was working at the Army Security Agency in Arlington, and uh, I used to pick her up every afternoon, and so I drove down there, and I had this little tape recorder, you know, the kind that's about the size of a book, it's a push keys. Yeah, I had one. Yeah, and I had it up on the dash of my car, and Fox on the Run by Manford Mann came on the radio. Click, I pushed record. And I said, that's a great song. And uh, so I, I came home, presented it to Cliff, and he liked it, and we uh, did record it. And it got to be a great big song in bluegrass music. A huge song in bluegrass music. I remember Mike Aldridge saying when he you first presented this as a possible song, he said, that's never going to work. He thought, no, that, but it did. It did. It really did. It did, yeah. And uh, after that, boy, I tell you, you're taking me back here. 
uh, after Cliff, after Cliff and I separated, I went back to work for Jimmy Martin. That was long about 65 or something like that. And uh, Paul Williams was had left the band, and Vernon Derrick had taken his place. Vernon was a great musician, mm-hmm. great fiddle player. He's from Arab, Alabama. Arab, Alabama. Arab, Alabama. Great fiddle player, great mandolin player, good tenor singer. Is that where the Arab bounce comes That's from? That's the Arab bounce. That's Vernon Derrick. He's passed away now, but he was he was a good one, and uh, was with Jimmy for a while, and then. I went back to work with the country gentleman, and that was in the very early 70s. Right. Uh, late 60s, very early 70s. Stayed with them a couple of years. We had an award-winning band. It was uh, first. It was Jimmy Goodrow, Charlie, Bill Yates, and myself. And then after a while, Jimmy Goodrow left, and Doyle Lawson replaced him. And Doyle Lawson and I were uh, agreed very much with each other musically. He'd been with Jimmy Martin, and Jimmy was still an influence on me, and always has been and always will be. And uh, stayed with the country gentleman. We won a lot of awards. They called us the award-winning country gentleman. It was a great band. It was a good band. And uh, then I had the opportunity to join the U.S. Navy Band. We were working at the King of France Tavern in Annapolis. You, you and the country gentleman. Yep. Okay. In Annapolis, and uh, a fellow came in there and said, "I'm with the U.S. Navy Band, and we're starting a country band, and we, we want to hire a banjo player. Are you interested?" And I said, "Well, I don't know. What's it pay?" He said, "Well, why don't you come down to the Washington Navy Yard?" and meet with the leader of the Navy band and, and we can talk about it. And I did, and they said, uh, we'd love to have you aboard and uh, we'll make you a chief petty officer. I didn't know what that was. Make you a chief petty officer. You won't have to go to boot camp and you can start next week if you want to. And I said, well, and they told me all the benefits and the pay that I would get and the stability and the long term, the retirement and all that, and I I chose to do that. And I left the country gentleman and joined the U.S. Navy Band and uh, stayed there for 20 years. And uh, it was great. I, I wouldn't have missed it. And they're still going today. They got a great banjo player by the name of, a little girl by the name of Haley Stiltner. Mm-hmm. She's great. And they're a great band, and they look great, and they represent our country and our Navy. And they do a great job, and I'm proud of that. I was proud that I was part of it at the beginning. And uh, after I left the Navy, I didn't do much for a while. And then Wayne Taylor, who uh, was the lead singer, my lead singer and guitar player. In, in the, the Navy band. In the Navy band, and I... Uh, recorded a couple of records and uh, then he went to work with me when I had the Sweet Dixie Band. When I started the Sweet Dixie Band, went and worked for me for about a year and uh, it was Bill Emerson and Sweet Dixie was the name of my band and I just recently disbanded and retired and uh, 
had some great people in my band. I had uh, Terry Chisholm and her husband, Wayne Lanham. And Wayne Lanham is a great musician, good fiddle player, super good mandolin player, good harmony singer and a good arranger. And Terry is about the most positive, professional person I ever met in the music. And uh, had a good time, traveled around, had Tom Adams play guitar for me for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and then Chris Stiefel joined the band, just an amazing musician, plays dobro, plays banjo, plays uh, guitar, good singer, and uh, actually he's an attorney, or was an attorney. Right. So he's a lot smarter than me, so uh, <laughs> don't, don't know what he's doing now, but he, he ought to be in music. And Tom Adams is a three-time IBMA Banjo Player of the Year. And he's a great guitar player. And uh, I saw Tom playing in a little group up in Pennsylvania, a little amateur group sort of in Pennsylvania. And I, I thought I recognized him. I said, who is that guy? He sounded like a young Carter Stanley. And uh, so I hired him. And uh, about 2016 was the last time I played a gig with my band. And I decided to retire and get out my rocking chair. And I think I've done enough. And so I'm really honored and proud to be elected to the Hall of Fame. It's just a perfect ending to my 66-year career. You're not playing at all in that rocking chair? You don't get the old five-string yeah, out every once play, in a while? Yeah, I play, play to the doorknob in that room in there. <laughs> Call me. I'll come over and listen. Sure. You ring your banjo. I will bring my banjo. I'll need a lot of help. Well, I talked to Ben Eldridge. He said when you were with Cliff Waldron, he would come and sit in the audience and watch you. He said he was always amazed at how clean you were, and he loved your backup. He tried to steal some of those licks, and... Um, Alan Monday, I talked to him today, he commented on how you always looked so confident when you would step on stage. You looked like you knew what you were there to do it and you got it done and he wished he could have that air of confidence that you have. Well, he also mentioned that. how clean your playing was. He said, if you can get in the right chair and look right at his right hand, uh, he, his fingers look like little tap dancers on the strings. <laughs> That's right. Uh, You've had a lot of influence on a lot of banjo players, Bill. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, some of those guys are my heroes. Ben Elders is a tremendous banjo player. And yes, he did used to come and sit in the front row at the Red Fox in Bethesda where we played. And uh, Alan Mundy, he, he followed me after I left Jimmy Martin the first time. And uh, I can't, there's not, I don't have the words to say how great a banjo player Alan Mundy became. He's just a wonderful banjo player and has recorded some of my tunes. I think he recorded Sweet Dixie and a few of the others. 
and so I appreciate that very much. He said when he was with Jimmy Martin and you were with the country gentleman sometimes, your paths would cross, and he always felt the empathy you had for him and his band situation. Yeah. Because Jimmy was a tough guy to work for. He was, and we talk about that. You know, uh, confidence is something you really got to have. And uh, Lynn Morris is my audio person. Everybody knows Lynn Morris. And one of the great female singers in bluegrass music. And uh, she had a stroke and can't sing or play anymore. But she runs my soundboard at, at our shows, or did. And uh, I remember coming off the stage one place where I didn't do very well and uh, was disappointed in my plan. And I was sitting there at the record table and there was a pencil laying there and I put my hand on the table and took that pencil like I was going to stab my hand, you know. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, no, 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 just smile and they'll never know the difference. <laughs> I did just smile. So I try to be look confident and uh, smile a lot, and I get away with a lot that way. Why do you think Washington became such a hotbed of bluegrass? I know that Pop Stoneman was responsible for, uh, you know, attracting a, well, a lot of fans to the Stoneman family, but uh, why do you suppose there, it developed, the John Duffy's and the Mike Aldridge's and the Bill Emerson's? Well, for one thing, uh, people south of here came here, a lot of them came here to work to get government jobs and, and find employment which is a lot better and for instance my wife comes from a little place in Virginia called Green Cove and uh, there's not a lot of jobs in Green Cove unless you want a farm mm -hmm. or something like that and uh, so I think a lot of southern people came up here and it brought the music with them and uh, we had bluegrass on TV. We had Buzz Busby and the Bayou Boys on TV. Every day I'd skip school and go down to the bowling alley and, and sit at the soda bar, and they had a TV above the, above the soda bar there, and I'd ask them, could you turn on Channel 5? And there'd be Buzz Busby and the Bayou Boys, Don Stover playing the banjo, and, and Pete Pike and people like that. And uh, the Stoneman family, they're not from Washington, D.C. They migrated here from someplace else, and they brought their music with them. And uh, a lot of them played in uh, nightclubs and bars around and stuff like that. And some of them were on the radio. And uh, the Country Gentleman, for instance, we were on the radio at WARL. I think it's WARL, yeah. In Arlington, we were on there, I had a radio show, 15-minute show every day of the week, and we'd go in there one one day of the week and record all those 15-minute shows. Mm -hmm. And so live bluegrass on the radio, you know. And I think it, it gained a certain depth of popularity, and uh, it took, took a little bit of a, got a little bit of a foothold in the Washington, D.C. area, because not only were the musicians migrants, but so were a lot of people living here. Right. Connie B. Gay was very important, instrumental in getting television and radio and big shows at the Uline Arena, Constitution Hall, 
the cruise ships up and down the Mount Vernon. And I heard recently at Bailey's Crossroads, you know, there was a little airport there. Yeah. And he would have what he called a hillbilly show, and then they'd do aerial stunts uh, after the show. That's true. Had he you, was a showman. Yeah. Had you had you ever heard of that? Yeah, I've heard about it all. You know, the, the uh, SS Mount Vernon mm -hmm. was a cruise ship that would go, would leave the wharf down on the main avenue in Washington and go down to Mount Vernon, make a U-turn and come back. And they'd have shows on that boat. That's the first time I ever saw flattened Scruggs. Really? Yes, sir. And I was sitting cross-legged on the floor right in front of Earl Scruggs watching him pick the banjo. And uh, also Glen Echo, they used to have a lot of shows there. I saw flattened Scruggs there. I saw the Osborne Brothers there. Reno and Smiley, and I think those were kind of be gay shows too. There's a lot of bluegrass. You know, we've had this. This area has had the reputation of being the bluegrass capital of America, and at one time it really was. But you know, it still is. It really is. There's no other place. If you go to Baltimore, you don't get this. You know, you don't get Katie Daly in Baltimore. <laughs> I'd go if they invited me. <laughs> wow, that's great. Thinking of all those things. You told me one time, I guess it was the Stonemans at the Famous, was that the name of it? That you weren't old enough to go in and you'd go down and stand outside as the swinging doors would... Yeah. You'd peek in. Peek in. Yeah, that's true. Also, a place called... Uh, the uh, What was the name? There's a little bar where Smitty Irvin who was Jimmy Dean's banjo player later on. Uh, he was a mentor of mine early on. Smitty Irvin was playing there, and wow, man, like a real live banjo player. I go down there and couldn't get in, but I look, you know. Now, what, what banjo did you play uh, during your career? The same uh, one or different uh, ones? A whole, whole bunch, different banjos. First, Decent banjo that I had was I bought from Chips uh, Music in Washington. It was a Gibson RB100, and uh, then I had a series of banjos. I won the uh, banjo Earl Scruggs played on the Price Is Right show. It was a Vega Earl Scruggs model. And I won that at the contest at Oak Leaf Park. That's mind blowing. <laughs> it was for me at the yeah, time. Yeah, it is for me now. Yeah, here's this brand new banjo, and uh, had a whole string of Gibson banjos. And then I endorsed Fender. Fender was making banjos for a while. Mm -hmm. And there's another outfit named Strom, S T R O M, from up in Minnesota, and I endorsed had one of their banjos, and. Uh, Stelling, I had Stelling banjos. I endorse Stelling, still do. And right now I'm playing Osborne banjos, Sonny Osborne's. Makes, he doesn't make them, but they're Osborne. He's the Osborne Banjo Company. Sonny's retired. And uh, they're made by Frank Neat in Russell Springs, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And assembled there. And, and uh, Sonny sells them. I've got uh, three of those. Love them. Just love them. So how many banjos in all 
Do you, you know, own? Yeah, I have. Maybe fifteen. That's not too bad. I got five now. <laughs> but I mean, you still own five? Yeah, sure. That's not too bad. Five? No. You know, uh, I was endorsing Stelling banjos, and I played Stelling for about half the time I was in the Navy band, and a little while thereafter. And uh, then I got I got some Gibsons before Gibson went out of business, and uh, at least out of the banjo business. And I got my Osborne, and Jeff called me up and said, "Hey, man, you know I hear you're you're not playing my banjo, you know." And I said, "Well, Jeff, uh, I love the banjo, but I've got others, and I like to play them all. I want to play, you know." different ones at different times. So I enjoy playing the banjo. I like the banjo. It's a great instrument. So uh, Sonny Osborne is is doing the presentation at the uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony. Yeah, you know, when I was with Jimmy Martin in Wheeling, the Osborne brothers were on the WWVA Jamboree there, and we'd see them every Saturday night. And I thought, man, Sonny Osborne, you know, he's one of my heroes. Somebody I wish I could play like he plays. And uh, so I got to know him. And uh, he, he treated me like an equal. And he was a, he was a mentor to me. And uh, he's been my friend and I've been his friend for all these low, these many years since 1962. And uh, I asked him if he would induct me into the Hall of Fame. He said he would be honored, so I'm really happy about that. And I hear a lot of people claim he's their hero. What is it about his playing that appeals to so many banjo players and so many fans of bluegrass? Oh boy, he's uh, very creative. He can do the traditional stuff as good as Earl Scruggs, if you listen to an album they recorded maybe 15 years ago of Flat and Scruggs, all Flat and Scruggs, all the old stuff, you know, and uh, sounds just like Earl Scruggs. And he's got this big, huge, <laughs> he's got these big, huge hands and uh, big, powerful hands. And when he puts that hand down there and plays that banjo, I mean, he's powerful. He's just powerful. He's just one of the all-time great banjo players. He'll go, he goes down with me right there with uh, Ralph Stanley and Scruggs and Reno and people, J.D. Crow and people like that. He's one of those guys. It's Thursday, September 26th at Raleigh in the Duke Energy Center. Uh, yes. It's a beautiful theater. And uh, a lot of times IBMA presents that live on Facebook. Now, I don't know if they're doing that this year, but tune into IBMA on Facebook. I'm sure that the, I feel certain they'll probably present that. I think they are. Yeah? Yeah. So uh, don't miss it, folks. Don't go on the 29th. Go on the 26th. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about, Bill? Uh, no, I just want to thank the people that uh, have supported me down through the years and come out to our shows and the many, many friends I've made and people like Alex and Pat Bogan and Pete Milano and the engineers, uh, recording engineers and photographers and people like that that I work with, and the people like Katie Daly. Well, thank you. 
George Hodgkiss out in Browntown, Virginia, who recorded all my albums for the Sweet Dixie Band. I just really appreciate it so much, and I've had a wonderful career. And uh, thanks, folks. Uh, I'm retired. That was Bill Emerson, banjo player extraordinaire, talking with Katie Daly about his career as a banjo player and band leader and his upcoming induction into the IBMA Bluegrass Hall of Fame. Be sure to check out all of our Bluegrass Story podcasts on SoundCloud, Facebook, iTunes, Google Podcast, and katydaily.com. And as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.